Welcome back to 21 Steps, an audiobook podcast by M.A. Box. Chapter 6 The next morning when Charlie woke up and rolled over to look at the clock, he saw that it was 7 o'clock. His head was pounding because of the booze the night before and he realized that he didn't remember how he got home. He was still fully dressed and laying on the top of his bed. His stomach turned and he wondered how he was going to make it through the day. He pulled himself up out of the bed and headed toward the shower. He took a shower, long and hot, letting the water run over his head and down his face. After the shower, he forced himself to get dressed. He put on his usual, a white button-up shirt with a blue tie and gray slacks. He put a little gel in his hair and brushed it with his fingers. He headed into the kitchen where he pulled a beer out of the fridge. He grabbed a cup off of the counter, rinsed it out in the sink, and then poured the beer into it. He grabbed tomato juice from the fridge and finished filling the cup. Breakfast of champions, he said to himself, and chugged it down. He returned the dirty cup to the counter and started out for the day. He walked out the front door, relieved to see that his car was parked safely in the driveway. He couldn't remember how he got home or what time he left. He tried not to think about it, and instead he got into his car and drove down the road to the coffee shop. It was on the corner, and there he ordered a large coffee, black. Charlie knew that the day ahead of him would be full of paperwork and time spent in his office. He hoped that the coroner had an autopsy of Leslie Sterling complete so he could move forward with his investigation, if there even was one. He hated days like this where all he had was paperwork. He really liked spending time out in the sun and solving crimes. But even more, he liked the detective pay, and the respect it engendered. Charlie pulled into the station and walked up the steps. Late night, Charlie, came a voice from behind him. He turned around to see Brenda, one of the police officers from the department, following behind him. "'Why don't you take me for breakfast?' he said. "'You know I would, darling,' Charlie said, if I had time, but I have a full day. I'll take a rain check, though.' Charlie opened the door for her to let her through and followed her in. When Brenda was a rookie on the police force, Charlie had taken her out a few times, just for the fun of it. She was a lot of fun in the bedroom, but dumber than a rock when it came to conversation. So Charlie just stopped calling her one day. After that, she began conveniently bumping into him as he would arrive at work, and inevitably, she would invite him to take her to breakfast. He definitely didn't want to have the conversation about where they stood, so he assumed if he just ignored her, maybe one day she would just go away. The light on Charlie's phone was blinking, indicating that he had a message. He pushed the button to retrieve his voicemail, put in his four-digit code, and listened. Hey, Charlie, this is Linda. Give me a call when you get in. Charlie immediately hung up the phone and dialed the coroner's office to talk to Linda. Linda was a beautiful lady with long, dark hair that she always pulled up tightly in a bun at the back of her head. She had deep blue eyes, which were mysterious in some way. She was a firecracker, too, said what she thought, and didn't take shit from anyone. Charlie was still working up the nerve to ask her out. He had met her a few times and worked with her on a few cases, but he hadn't had the chance to spend a lot of individual time with her. Maybe this would be his chance. "'Hey, Linda, what do you have for your favorite detective today?' Charlie asked. "'Well, you are the only detective I know, but you are still my favorite, Charlie. How are you doing?' "'Doing good. What did you find out?' "'Well, we have to rule it as an unexplained drowning. "'She definitely died when water filled her lungs, but we can't see any bruises or injuries that would indicate any foul play. "'I hope you can find out what you need in an investigation if you think there is more to the story. "'But unfortunately, I won't be able to help you very much on this one. "'Could it be a drug overdose or something?' Seriously, Charlie, you think I would miss something like that? Really, who do you think you're talking to? Okay, maybe I should have told you that. There were no chemicals found in her body. We definitely checked for that. 
By all accounts, she seemed very healthy. Okay, okay, he said, waving his hands in the air in submission, even though she couldn't see him. I have no right to question you. Did you come up with an approximate time of death? We figured it to be right around 10 p.m., although with any death that could be plus or minus a little depending on the conditions. I hope that helps a little. Thanks, Linda, Charlie said. You really are a peach. Make sure you fax me that report as soon as you can, and if you find anything else, let me know. I may call back and check later next week, just in case. Charlie hung up the phone and thought about what Linda had just said and what he thought about the information she gave to him. No foul play could be detected from the autopsy. No overdose, and yet she drowned. He wondered if she had any complaints of depression or suicidal tendencies. He made a note to talk to the husband and to gather any medical files he could find on both Leslie and Derek. He hoped that Linda would have found something that would have saved him the time, but since she didn't, he would have to request the records right away. Charlie again analyzed the evidence he had gathered at the Sterling home. No unknown fingerprints had been found. The last fingerprint on the faucet to the tub was so smudged it was unreadable, thanks, no doubt, to the emergency worker who had shut it off wearing latex gloves. Prior to that, they could only find remnants of Leslie's fingerprints. There were no noticeable fibers and no signs of a break-in. He had documented all the medications in the house and couldn't see one that would indicate the treatment of depression for either of them. There were a few drugs for Derek he would have to learn more about, but he wasn't sure they would relate to anything, so he thought he would save himself some time until Linda got back to him. He slowly wrote on his sterling case to-do list. First, research medication. Charlie picked up the phone and dialed the number to the Hanover Inn. When the receptionist picked up, he asked for the room of Mr. and Mrs. Joe Sterling. She transferred him to the room, and it began to ring. After ringing six times, the receptionist picked up and asked him if he wanted to leave a message. He left a message for Joe to call him or come by the office. August 8, 2008 There was a chill in the air as people walked in a parade of black up the pebble walkway to the tall oak doors that stood open allowing people to enter the church. They entered through the doors into the dark solemnity that lay beyond. The only sounds were the passing of the wind through the nearby aspen trees and whispers of hushed voices. It wasn't difficult to see that the gathering of people was for a sorrowful purpose. The funeral for Leslie Ann Sterling took place in a small church on the outskirts of town. It was an old white church with one big room inside. People filled every wood bench in the chapel and some stood at the back of the room. There were flowers all around the back of the room, and a piano played Christian melodies in the background. The pastel pink programs curled in each patron's hand showed a laughing mother with her two sons. It was labeled, in memory of Leslie Ann Sterling, loving wife and mother. Just below the pulpit in the front of the church was a large brown casket ornamented with gold. Leslie lay in the casket dressed in a pink satin dress and white sandals. Her husband Derek sat in the front row of the overcrowded church. To the right of them sat their son Patrick and her parents, Sam and Darlene Cook. Darlene was holding Tyler, who was playing with a soft red fire truck and talking to his aunt, Leslie's sister, who was sitting next to him. On Derek's left side sat his father and stepmother. All of their faces were filled with sadness and heartache. Darlene wiped her eyes with a small blue handkerchief and looked down at Tyler, to avoid the scene in front of her by all means. Leslie's friends spoke of her kindness, humor, and what a wonderful mother she was. They told stories of her fun and generous spirit. They talked about her success with running in school and how she always strived to be her best. They talked of Derek and how wonderful their relationship had been, and how strong he was being now and would need to be in the future as he continued to raise their two children. They would all miss her terribly and think of her often. 
The services lasted over an hour. The doors at the back were opened, allowing people to exit and cool air to fill the room, taking away the scent of too many people in too small of a space. When exiting the church, a newspaper blew across the sidewalk in front of Derek. He reached down to pick up the newspaper and read the cover of the Hanover City Insider. Services for Leslie Ann Sterling, wife and mother of two, died of unexplained causes on July 5, 2008. Services will be held on July 8, 2008. It then went on to tell of how she had drowned in a bathtub in her home. Her husband Derek had been out of town with the two children and had arrived home to find her in the tub. He had immediately called the police and she was pronounced dead at the scene. The husband, it said, is still living in their home and will have the additional challenge of raising his two children as a single parent. Derek wondered how they got this information and why they were so quick to report on things. He wondered why they needed to report this information anyway. Why couldn't they just print the obituary? He was even more concerned that this was on the front page of the paper. Was the death of his wife really front page news? He wondered if they even thought of the victims and the families that this affected, or if they just cared about the shock value and whether or not it would help them sell more papers. He did, however, like the accompanying picture, a close-up of Leslie laughing. That was the way he liked remembering her, with her ready, contagious laugh. She had laughed a lot. He tucked the paper under his arm and thought that maybe later tonight he would read the entire article and look at her beautiful face. Overwhelming support came from the people who had filled the church that day. They brought gifts of food, kindness, and support. They even set up a support fund at the local bank for the Sterling family. Derek was thankful for their support, but even more he wondered how he was going to be able to make it through each day without his Leslie, his beautiful, funny Leslie. He wondered, too, how he would ever repay the people who had without question, been there to support him in such a difficult time. Tune in next time as we continue 21 Steps.